0: I'm eager to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the book of 3rd John. Today we start a new four-part series called A Life of Love, The Message of 3rd John. And so I'd like to invite you to please turn with me to the book of 3rd John, which is towards the end of the Bible, just before Revelation and Jude. All right, three books from, from the end. 3rd John is the... Muggsy Bogues of the biblical canon, and I'm sure most of you don't know that reference at all. Muggsy Bogues is a former NBA basketball player, five foot three inches tall, the shortest in the league. Third John is the shortest book in the Bible, uh, at 219 words in the original and 15 verses. So if you're looking to say you've memorized an entire book of the Bible, you know, this might be uh, the one to go with. Third John is personal, it's a situational letter. It is packed with pastoral wisdom. We will meet a troublemaker in the church named Diotrephes. He was a man of considerable influence who was speaking against John and was refusing to welcome uh, those who were traveling workers for the gospel. We will meet a good man named Gaius. John is writing to Gaius, he is commending him for his faithfulness. Uh, The the themes of this letter touch on the very things that are on my heart uh, to share with you over these next uh, few weeks that we will be in this book. I do want to, as is our custom, begin this sermon series by praying, and I'd like to invite you to please stand with me uh, as we sing a prayer to the Lord that is, Speak, O Lord. Lord. Um, Our sermon is going to be around 30 minutes. Uh, Our services normally go between 11.30 and 11.45. We're on pace for that. Normally the sermon begins before 11 o'clock and not after. And yet we are praying that our minds will be engaged and our hearts will be engaged. And this song captures our prayer for the preaching of God's word today and in this series. You can remain standing for the reading of God's word. 3 John Our focus will be the first four verses, but we'll read this brief letter in its entirety. This is God's holy and authoritative word. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, but also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. May God bless the preaching of his word. You may be seated. We live in an age in which the art of letter writing is a thing of the past. There was one survey I saw that said that most adults have sent five or fewer handwritten correspondence in the last ten years. Uh, C.S. Lewis is considered one of the the last great letter writers, and his contemporaries, men like T.S. Eliot and Ernest Hemingway, also spent countless hours Writing letters. I had a delightful moment just this summer uh, in skimming through a volume of the collected letters of C.S. Lewis where I came across a letter. It was one of the the numerous letters that he wrote to Tolkien. Uh, And this was the letter where Lewis had first read The Hobbit and was responding to share his impressions with Tolkien. One of the great treasures that we have in The Bible is three letters from the Apostle John, who was a disciple of Jesus. And 3 John is among the most personal and affectionate letters in Scripture. It's written from one brother in Christ to a dear friend and fellow worker whom he loves. This letter, as you see, is not written to provide formal theological instruction or to expound the great doctrines of the faith. It is a short note of encouragement. The letter is so intimate that we almost feel reluctant to read it without the author's permission. And yet we remember that the primary author is God and that God himself has recorded this letter, this personal letter for us in his word for our edification. The question is, what does God intend for us to learn from this letter? And his desire is this. His desire is that we would grow in Christian love. His desire is that we would grow in caring for others, in extending hospitality to others, rejoicing in others, together as his people, holding fast to the truth. A life of love. As we've welcomed brothers and sisters into our church family and have celebrated that reality today, it is good for the entire church family to be reminded that the greatest and primary mark of a healthy church member, what does it look like? It is committed love. It is to love one another. There was a time when God showed me just how proud and selfish I had been in relationships, where he put a spotlight, as he kindly does through the ministry of his Holy Spirit in convicting us of sin, he put a spotlight on my self-righteousness and my lovelessness, and I remember meeting with a pastor going through the book Charity and Its Fruits by Jonathan Edwards in response to this need to grow in this area of my life my my pride my irritability my love of being right is still very much with me but i thank god that he is at work in his children he does not leave us to ourselves but delights to grow us and conform us into the image of christ and he's committed to growing us as his people in love for one another. His desire for us is the prayer in Philippians 1, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more. Did you know one of the ways that you can tell that someone has become a Christian, and I talk with my kids about this, six kids, ages 19 down to nine, I think. Did I get that right? Yeah. And... Um, And and so we talk about what does it mean to become a Christian and how do you know if someone is a Christian because especially in a Christian home, it's very common to have a profession of faith. Well, what we say is the way a Christian looks different is through the presence of love and especially presence of love toward the closest people in our lives. So for kids, that's going to look like, how do you treat your brothers and sisters? And how do you relate to your parents? Is there a kindness? Is there a consideration? Is there a respect? And what we've seen over the years is that as I have had the joy of seeing children come to a saving faith in Christ, this is the area of life that's transformed. This area of love for one another. And when we are adults, it's the same thing. Love makes all the difference in relationships, in marriage, in in our lives, at the workplace. The presence of love, according to the word of God, the teaching of Jesus Christ, the presence of love is one of the great things that distinguishes believers from the world around us. They will know that Jesus is who he claims to be by the love that exists among the people of God. And so we are a people of love and God is committed to growing us in abounding in love all the more. Now I have two points that I want to consider today. The origin of Christian love and the expression of Christian love. First, the origin of Christian love. I want to give you a pro tip in reading 3 John as we're studying this letter together. When you read this letter, read it in light of all of John's experiences and writings. The Apostle John has contributed five books to the New Testament. There is the Gospel of John, first, second, and third John, these letters, and the book of Revelation. Words and ideas that appear here in this short letter. I'm thinking words like truth and joy and peace and love and friends. Those words, those concepts are more fully explained in John's gospel and in 1 John in particular. So keep in mind, reading this letter, remember the apostle John was known for his proximity to Jesus his proximity to our Savior. He was, during the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, a part of his inner circle. Peter, James, and John. It's interesting, and we just read it, and you saw it in 3 John. He doesn't use the word Jesus or Christ. Uh, He only mentions the name, verse 7. But the aroma of the name is everywhere in this letter. And the reason for that is that John spent time with the name. John lived among the name. John had observed and experienced the love of the name that is Jesus Christ. He says in 1 John 1, speaking of our Lord, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. We've, he says, I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've, I've seen the gospel of salvation and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. The one who wrote this letter had walked with Jesus, had observed Jesus, had spent time with our Lord, and to see Jesus would have been to see love in action. To study Jesus is to study the most loving person who ever walked the earth. Every moment of Jesus' life, every aspect of his work is driven by the great love he has for us. It is love that is the heartbeat that rushes and pulsates through his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. All of it was done in his great love. You might remember that throughout his gospel, John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. That's beautiful. And that is what should come to mind for us when we think of ourselves. That should shape our identity as it shaped John's identity. I am the one Jesus loves. You are the one Jesus loves. So when John writes, Gaius, whom I love, and when he repeats that word beloved, verse two, verse five, verse 11, beloved, beloved, beloved. The loved ones, that's what that means. Christians are the beloved because, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Having loved his own who are in the world, John says, He loved them to the end, John 13, 1, introducing the foot washing and the new commandment to love one another that would radically shape John's life and leadership forever. Greater love, Jesus taught, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, John 15, 13. So John becomes, and he is known as the apostle of love. And 1 John, in particular, shows love is at the center of John's moral vision. What is the origin of that love? How did he become such a loving person? How can we grow in love? How can we grow in those places where it seems next to impossible? John was able to love because he knew he had been so greatly loved by God. And he wrote this in 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. You say, is God a good God? Is he a loving God? And you may look at the events of your life and think, how could it possibly be? Uh, Friends, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He died as an atoning sacrifice for sinners like you and me. And this cross of Christ stands forever as a pulpit of the love of God for sinners. And then he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is, this is the origin of a life of love that we're going to see throughout this book. And that word beloved, it's, I love that word. I'm, try, I'm still trying to think if there's a way to, to reclaim it because it's completely, I just wish it were more common today because beloved reminds us that we are loved. The ESV Study Bible has a beautiful note here. It says, Beloved conveys the truth that Christians are linked by the love God has shown them in Christ. That's what beloved means. It means you're loved by God and you're loved by the people of God and we are linked together by this glorious love that God has shown. Paul Miller wrote a book called Love Walked Among Us and he says, love begins not with loving but with being loved. Being loved gives you the freedom and the resources to love. We can only give what we have received. It is knowing God's love that leads to showing God's love. And if you find yourself in a relationship in which you are desiring to grow in love, the starting place of that is to go deeper into the glories of the love of God for sinners read the gospel of john read first john consider the glories of this love and then second the expression of christian love and here what i want to do is just consider some of the ways that this love is on display in these first four verses here what does love look like in our lives and what can we learn from these first four verses of this letter first love is committed To the truth. You may have noticed when we read these first four verses, you see that repetition of the word truth in this passage. Truth is determined not by what we believe, but by what God has spoken. What He has spoken is what is true. Jesus said that He is the way, the truth. And the life. And if we love people, we will want to see the truth of the gospel shape their beliefs and shape their behavior. We'll want to see them holding fast to the truth, walking in the truth. It especially needs to be said in our day and age in which some professing Christians are wandering away from the truth on various points. It is not loving to deny or minimize truth in the name of compassion. We must stand upon the truth. Love involves a commitment to the truth. Now, second, love is concerned for the whole person, is another expression of love, a concern for the whole person. In verse 2, there is... A prayer, he says, beloved, I pray. And if there are people who are beloved to you, pray for them. What greater way can we show our love for one another than to pray for each other? And this prayer is that Gaius may be in good health physically just as it goes well with his soul. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which is where Screwtape, who is the senior devil gives Wormwood, the junior devil, counsel on how a Christian should pray for his mother. So this is, it's the uh, it's the counsel of demons, it's not good counsel that's being given here. He says, make sure that the prayers are always very spiritual, that he, that is that the Christian, is always concerned with the state of her soul and never with her rheumatism. You see, part of Satan's design is to draw this dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual and to have us only concerned with the spiritual. Now this verse, 3 John verse two, has been misused by some and their teaching is dangerous. And I wanna give you a heads up on this. It was in the 1940s that the famous preacher Oral Roberts helped lay the foundations of the prosperity gospel and abundant life teaching, word of faith teaching. And 3 John 2 played an important role in his life, although he failed to understand its true meaning. There was one morning, it was in 1947, it was during a time of personal suffering in Oral Roberts' life. He read this verse in the King James Version, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. And when he read that verse, he immediately ran to his wife and reported how revolutionary this was, that clearly God does not want us to be poor or sick. And Robert soon believed and he taught that God desires not only our spiritual prosperity, but our prosperity in every way. And this verse, 3 John 2, has been misused by many who have taught that faith secures the promise of physical and financial blessing for all believers in this life. That's what that's what people are teaching. You can hear it on TBN or you can read it from people like Joel Osteen and TD Jakes and Joyce Meyer. They say you can live your best life now. And it is lies. That is contrary to scripture. It is false teaching that appeals to our desire for health and financial security. Yet it emphatically is not loving but destructive to those who receive it. There are are two mistakes to be made in relation to a verse like this. One is the prosperity gospel that says if we have faith God will bring us material and physical blessing in the here and now. Another mistake, however, and I want us to be on guard against this one as well, is a sort of Gnosticism which says God is concerned with, God is unconcerned with the physical and cares only about the spiritual, and we should do the same is the way that some Christians think about the Christian life. And so it needs to be said, and there is something positive to learn from this verse, and it is this, that Christianity is concerned with the whole person, body and soul. God made us body and soul, and he tends to redeem us body and soul. And far from devaluing the importance of the body, or denigrating the physical and elevating the spiritual, no, the gospel comes to us as good news for the whole person including hear this including the good news of our bodies in the resurrection that is to come and if and if we love others as John does we will we will not only care for their spiritual welfare but also for their physical welfare look good health enables us to serve the lord with energy and longevity and therefore i pray for you as a church, that you may be in good health. And we ought to make health issues, far from being an unspiritual matter, no, make that a matter of Christian love and fellowship. It's why we pray for healing. It's why we ought to treasure the gospel blessing of the redemption of our bodies when Christ returns. And so Christian, beloved, if If your body is currently failing you, here's a piece of news I want to give you by way of reminder. There may be ways that you are experiencing today the outer man wasting away. And you may be fearing that things will get even worse. I want to encourage us all to look beyond old age To look beyond the grave to the return of Christ and the future of your body. Do You remember what D.A. Carson says, one of my favorite quotes. He comes in hot. He says, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. All right? Look, in this life, in this life, our bodies are weak and ruined in so many ways. We know disability. We know frailty. We know genetic defects. We know sickness and disease. But Christian, take heart today and know that because of Christ, it will be well with your body and soul for all eternity. We have a Savior who came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And so care about the soul, care about the body, and remember that love is concerned with the whole person. That's the love Christ has shown us. It's the salvation that he has secured for us. That one day we will be perfectly healed and if we love others we will show the same kind of love and concern. Now one more expression of love and this is my last point, you all are doing great. Third, love rejoices in other believers. Rejoicing in other believers. John's response in verse 3 and his declaration of joy in verse 4, look at that. That response is one of the great marks of Christian love. And I want to say that if your soul is downcast, there could be any number of reasons for that. But I want to suggest that this may be the reason joy is missing from your life. And this is certainly what God would have us here today. When John received a report on how Gaius is doing, he didn't just rejoice, what does verse three says? He rejoiced greatly. And then he encourages him and says, as indeed you are walking in the truth, you're doing well and I rejoice greatly in it. And then he says this in verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, my spiritual children, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I have no greater joy than to hear that they are walking in the truth. He sees the fruit of the gospel in the lives of other believers. He sees the grace of God at work. Do you know, for me, this is, This is the indescribable joy of pastoral ministry. And this is, in fact, the thrill of the Christian life. A six-week sabbatical has reminded me of what I love about my job, and it is this, that I get a front-row seat to the activity of God in the lives of his people, as they love the truth, as they walk in the truth. And that's what we should all be seeing if we have eyes to see it. I see young men and women studying and delighting in God's word in this church. I see young men and women praying and fasting and looking forward to youth camp. I see lost men and women coming to Christ. I see men and women committing themselves as members in a local church in a a decision that is radically countercultural to the spirit of our age, saying, I will commit to these people. I will join this particular church. That is the grace of God on display. I see couples investing in their marriages. I see generous giving to the Go Forward Fund. I see those walking through suffering and loss who are not giving up on their faith but are in fact clinging to Christ and clinging to his promises I see those who in their dying hour are full of the hope of heaven. I see older saints in the church who are full of joy and full of encouragement and are a refreshing presence to the saints. I see the way that people serve the church and care for each other and confess sin and pursue godliness. And listen, I have no greater joy than to to see you as a church walking in the truth. And it ought to be the case that this is a source of joy, of great joy, no greater joy in the life of a believer. Peter Barnes says, nothing should excite a Christian more than to hear that others have embraced Christ by faith and are living for him. So what excites you? What do you get excited? Make this something you get excited about. Just as John got excited about it, to hear that others have embraced Christ, to hear that others are living for him. That's what we get excited about. That's what brings us joy. And listen, here's something. It, it is striking that the church that Gaius is in, and we'll see this more in the weeks to come, has its problems. They have uh, Diotrephes hasn't gone away. Problems haven't gone away. The church is far from perfect, but still, John rejoices. Diotrephes does not rob John of his great joy in Gaius and in the church. Rather, he is like the psalmist in Psalm 16, verse 3 As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. He's like Barnabas in Acts 11. Verse 23, when he came to Antioch, and it says that he came and saw the grace of God, and he was glad. This joy in others is an essential part of what it means to love others. And we learn from John, it's not enough to just feel this joy, there must also be the communication of this joy. Sam Crabtree wrote an important book called Practicing Affirmation. Some of you are familiar with it, he says God is glorified in us when we affirm the work he has done and is doing in others that's what we want to do it's the kind of people we want to be we, we have no greater joy than to observe the work he has done and is doing in others are you this kind of person are you this kind of Christian living a life of love, thanking God for others, love rejoices in others. I want to encourage us that God has joy and refreshment waiting for us. He is opening our eyes more and more to rejoice in his activity. And I want to say if there is one thing that We are known for in covenant fellowship in terms of the relationships and the culture that is established. Let it be this quality, that we are a warm and affectionate family who love each other deeply and who rejoice to see the grace of God at work. Who can join with John and say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I want to invite the band to return and I just want to share one more thought with you. John spent time with Jesus and it occurred to me that there is something of the heart of Christ himself in this joy. And I want us to look through John's joy and see the joy of the Savior over us. Because we have a Savior who not only died for us But when he rose and ascended, gave us his spirit, and he now rejoices. The Lord of heaven and earth is rejoicing from heaven's throne to see those he has redeemed, to see you, those for whom he died, walking in the truth. He rejoices in it. He delights in it. We have a Savior full of love. He is a Savior reigning on heaven's throne. He is a Savior rejoicing in his people. And this glorious Savior is inviting us, come and share in my joy. Come and share in my love. He's inviting us to love one another as God has loved us in Christ. May we be, by the grace of God, increasingly that kind of community, living lives of love for the glory of the King. Amen.